0: What's up, everybody? We're back for another episode of the Drag Zine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor, Brian Wagner. Joining me this week is Drag Week Funster Joe Berry. Joe, what's going on? Not too much. How are you today? Doing good, doing good. Uh racing season is first officially in full swing, and I'm loving every second of it.
1: Yeah, it's it seems like it's been forever since we've uh had normalcy with our racing and anything car related, I guess.
0: Yeah. It's, it's crazy. They, they opened Ohio back up fully and I went to the street outlaws, no prep Kings event this past weekend and they put, thankfully they put like higher capacity stands at a national trail raceway because they packed that place out. I would say there was easily on Saturday, 10,000 people there. It was nuts. That's so awesome. Yeah, it, it was great. Everybody was smiling, having a good time. I mean, it was, it was truly a sight to see, and it kind of gives you that little sparkle of hope that maybe things are going to start getting at least somewhat better, right?
1: Yes, sir. I completely agree.
0: And the, the only thing that sucked was that this fell on the same weekend that you know Dragon Drive event here was going on locally Midwest, uh, the Midwest Drags, which I really wanted to go to, and if. One of my junk piles would have been running. I would have been participating in. But looks like those guys had some fun on Midwest Drag Week.
1: Yeah, they had the – basically the worst that can happen is the rain. Um, It's one thing to rain out at a track and not be able to race for that day. But when you're actually driving the cars from track to track, it really becomes a hazard, for lack of a better word. Um, cause most of us, I mean, or even in the faster cars, most everyone's got slicked up cars. And so you end up driving in the moisture.
0: Yeah. And I giggle anytime someone says, Oh, it must not be a street car. If you can't drive it in the rain on drag radials. And I'm like, tell me you don't have a fast car without telling me you don't have a fast car. Because I know in my car, when that converter would decide to go into full party mode and there's a little bit of moisture on the road on a set of drag radials, life wasn't fun. I couldn't imagine doing that in, like, Tom Bailey's car.
1: Yeah, it, exactly. We, uh, I have a Mercedes that we raced at a couple of drag weeks. My wife races it. And that car's on drag radials. And I can tell you, I mean, it's a 500-horsepower car. And in the rain, it's horrible. It's not something you want to drive. So no. It's, it's tough
0: yeah and i think again that's what in my opinion the dragon drive stuff i've always been a fan of but it really shows that it in my opinion it's what puts a stake in the heart of oh that's not a street car oh really these guys drive them in the rain they drive with you know thousand miles and they beat on them pretty sure it takes a street car to do that because i don't think my race car can do that
1: <laughs> well and that's that's the biggest thing with that is there's a lot of things that we do on the drag and drive events that if I had a nice car, I wouldn't drive my nice car on the routes. A lot of times, I mean, between dirt roads, pothole roads, I wouldn't take it. There's no way. Yeah. I drive it, the race car or my car, street car, whatever you want to call it down these roads and beat the heck out of it. So I mean, yeah, there's a compromise. I mean, it's not the funnest ride in the world, but it's, you know, at least we're enjoying the cars.
0: To me, the drag and drive events are like the triathlon of racing events. Whereas a triathlon beats on the human body. The drag and drive is the triathlon for the vehicle because it's just, it's brutal, but it's fun. That's why people keep doing it. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's the thing. I mean, it's got to be
1: that we pretty much have the cars figured out for most, I mean, things still break, things happen, but we have the cars figured out now. So the drives aren't the killer anymore for the cars. However, for the people driving the cars, it, it's it's rough, you know, and every year I think, why in the world am I doing this? Because by the time I'm done, it takes me two weeks to recover. Um, it's just hard on you. You, you don't realize that you sit in that car for you know, eight, 10 hours a day driving it down the highway.
0: Now, you've been racing your stunning 56 Chevy for a long time in the PSA, PSCA then in drag week. You know, how did that whole journey begin for you to have this car, with this car and, you know, the PSA and, you know, how did it all really begin for you?
1: So I ended up with the car more as an opportunity, I guess, than something that I picked per se. Um, My dad would buy cars bring them back here to Colorado and resell them. And the 56 that we had, no one wanted. They thought it was an ugly car, just sat in the garage for years. So I ended up with it. Once I had an interest for cars, that happened to be the car I ended up with. And so we raced it like a pro street style car for years. And as things progressed with heads up racing, you you start to learn that having a big tire car, that it probably should be fast. And it wasn't fast. It was a 10-second car, uh, big tire car. So it kind of just, you know, it was, wasn't that great. So in the late 90s, beginning 2000s, um, I had Jerry Bickle build the car that we have now. And um, we built it to race Pro Street and MCA. And got the car done, and the car was super heavy. So we ended up running Nostalgia Pro Street, which the way the rules are written in that class, it's very hard to be competitive at there. You want to build a purpose-built car for the South Pro Street because I was still too heavy for that class. So at that point we went and class raced with PSCA because they had a heavy street class, which fit perfect. We were 3620, I think, and the class was 3,600 pound class. So that's kind of how it progressed. um, Till, Middle mid 2000s, say 2007, 2008. And at that time, we had won a couple championships with the car as a you know, big tire, heavy street car. And we were getting third year, I think. And um, a lot of guys in the class decided to go to um, NHRA and say, Hey, this guy's going faster than 750. Because that's the time they didn't have a tech, they didn't have a cert for car like that. And needless to say, that class went away because the cars weren't legal. So the car ended up getting parked because there was nothing to race because I couldn't search the car at that weight. And about 2009, 2010, I was reading an article about drag week and I thought, Hey, this sounds pretty cool. You know, let's, let's try that. And then that was kind of the beginning of the, the whole addiction to racing, the you know the drive events the reliability type things
0: yeah that that's i guess what's what's interesting is you know now that you started doing the drag and drive stuff what what's kept you attracted to it what's what's made it kind of you know like we we're talking about it's a torture test what makes you keep going back for more
1: you know now it's it's all about the people that we go to hang out with when we first started doing it it was a whole thing that i felt like we were trying to prove prove the car was a streetcar to everyone else and it took me i don't know three four years i realized i didn't need to prove anything to people but it's you know it's, it's going to be the same old adage everyone well that's not a streetcar well i to me anything's a streetcar you can drive it um i don't have a car that just goes 20 miles down the road, I mean, a lot of guys make that claim, oh, it's a streetcar drove 20 miles, no, drive it a couple hundred miles, then, you know, then I believe it, but so, that was the biggest thing is I was trying to prove stuff that, you know, I learned I didn't need to prove it anymore, and um, now it's just, I go and I'll hang out with the people, it's nice to see all the people because when it started, it was such a small group of people, now it's just it's huge amount of people. So now we'll go to the event, and we don't see any of the original people because it's just become so big.
0: That that's, um, one of, I say, that's one of the things I've heard from a lot of the Dragon Drive people is it's like the, the atmosphere and the individuals like really make it for them. It's like a family reunion each year.
1: That is very true because a lot of these people, I mean, we stay in contact with, but a lot of these people – that's the only time we see them is at these events, you know, whether it be a race week event or the Midwest Drags or Drag Week. It's that's where you actually get to see these people every year because it's not like when we're class race where every couple weeks, every month, you see the same group of guys or girls, whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, I think that's what makes it a little bit different, more special is that. uh, kind of that that camaraderie you, you have that you've you've completed something that's that uh that epic right it is
1: I mean and everyone it's hard to explain it to someone who hasn't done it and once you've done it it, it has a whole different uh feel for it you know that you 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 have a different I mean everyone I think it's fair to say everyone's ID when they first do it is they're worried about how fast the car how quick the car is what you learn after you do it the first time is that stuff's important to the event, but it's more important to finish the event. You know, I, I mean, I've went fast and I've went slow at the event, but what you remember is not making it to the end of the event. I mean, if you break on the middle of the week or the end of the week, that is the worst thing. That, I mean, it just, it just ruins it.
0: Couple of the guys we had on the 10K drag shoe, Adam Hodson and Nick Taylor, do a lot of the drag week stuff. And I remember the last time they were on it, they grenaded a motor, like literally as they were getting ready to pull into one of the final stops. So they pulled the car in and they did a Facebook live of them Ring an engine at the track just so they could make that hit. It wasn't anywhere near fast, but they wanted to complete it. And it was one of the most wild things I've ever seen is like all these dudes thrash on it. They took another one of the guys' drag week cars to the junkyard to pick up this engine. I mean, it was, it was all hands on deck. And, And that was, that kind of stuff
1: to me is the best. I mean, to see the people and the amount of just the energy that goes into it and the excitement. I mean, the guy just blew up the motor and they still, you will see smiles and, you know, everyone thrashing away and enjoying it. I mean, it's, it's work and they're enjoying it.
0: Now I've heard this from a few other drag week competitors. When you need to like, when you're specking out a build or something, when you go to a manufacturer, let's say you're getting valve springs and you explain to them what you're trying to do. Do they look at you and say, we don't have anything designed to deal with that, you know, or, or like an, like a a dry sump oil system. They're like, Are you nuts? Does this require you guys to really think a lot further outside the box than a normal build? You know,
1: sadly, there's very few vendors out there, I hate to say, that try to learn from what we do. And I've always been puzzled by that because there's so much R&D that we could provide based on what we put the parks through. my, my my combination is we dealt with the gentleman that built motors for like race boats, where it's not like oh, yeah. just drag racing, but he had an idea um, of what to do to build the boats because they have had the harshest um, issues with over revving, you know, when they come out of the water, different things like that. So that's where we started. So I went to, uh, I mean, I basically started to try to build a pro mod motor. And then we kind of worked in adding what the durability of, from boat racing. And that's how we ended up with what we have today. Um, we ran a lot of parts, which people, now it's it's more common, but people didn't believe what we ran. They said, there's no way. We, we've run aluminum rods since the beginning. They said, oh, you can't do that. Well, you can, and we have. And um, valve Springs, the valve spring technology has come so far. I mean, it's rare. Knock on wood, I, I shouldn't say it. We've never had a broken valve spring. Um, but we know the cycle life. We've learned, okay, we don't go out there with old old springs. Never. It's just because it's not worth it trying to fix on the side of the road. And then your, any of the valve train stuff, it has a cycle life. And if you keep track and you maintenance everything right, you know that cycle life. And so we just switch out, we just replace the components. It, it's just so much easier than taking the risk. Okay, well, it'll make it one more year, or one more race or one more drive because the possibility of it damaging other things to cause a more catastrophic engine failure is
0: possible. Cycle life is something I've really started to learn a lot about from my friends that race really fast stuff in Pro Mod and other heads up classes because they will literally say these rods are good for 25 passes. They could go to 26, but it might only go to 25 and a half. And at that half point, it might exit the block. And that's what a lot of people don't understand how important when you are on an extreme level cycle life really is on parts.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and I tried to do it the other way. I tried, okay, we're going to get the most out of this stuff. And getting broke down on a side road over the years for something that I should have changed, I just, I had enough. So I will pull perfectly good parts off of it and put new ones on because I know that it's only a matter of time. And like, you can watch it. It'll like, if, say it's a rocker arm. I mean, it will literally, you'll put a new rocker arm and you may start the car up and it'll be the next rocker arm. It's like perfect timing. And, you know, we've, we've stuck with aluminum rocker arms for years. Everyone says, oh, you got to go to steel. Well, no, we've learned what we can get away with with that aluminum rocker arm.
0: You know, and it's funny you mentioned that you would think that a lot of these com- like, companies would want to get on board with what you guys do because it's almost like NASCAR level R&D. I've got a friend that's done NASCAR R&D. Like for, he works in uh, Yates's valve like, in their shop and does nothing but valve train stuff. And they just, it never ceases to amaze me how much they beat on stuff to find like that perfect combination. And what you guys do is like you said, it's not necessarily maybe the track use on it, but it's that driving to and from that these parts aren't designed for.
1: And, and that's correct. And I, we've tried, I mean, we have a lot of really good people on board with us and we've offered, we always offer, Hey, do you want to look at these parts? Some do most don't. Um, but I, I, to me, I would think you would learn, I'm not in the racing industry as far as my business goes, but I like to know why stuff fails, you know, and it, it, can you make it better, you know, so it'll last longer. I, I don't, that's, but that's my opinion, obviously, you know, the, but I would think you'd want to do everything you could to make that part the best you can. We, uh, Years ago we had problems because we run a 16 volt system with fans. And so we would eat fans, I don't know, you'd go an hour and it would burn up a fan. So what we started doing for years is we would throw a 12 volt battery on the floor inside the car and carry a (laughs) voltmeter, And we would hook up that fan to the battery sitting on the floor. And it would go about, you'd go about 300 miles on a 12 volt battery running a fan. And so we did that for years. And then we had a company, uh, GC Cooling, come on board and they made a 16 volt fan. And we put that on there and it's a resolved the issue. We, you know, my passenger doesn't have to have his legs straddling a battery in the front seat. And but they actually took what we were doing and applied it and made a motor that would live. So it's, it's, there's possibilities out there.
0: What's one of the more gnarly things that you've broken on the road? Like where you've broken it, you've like, I'm not mad, I'm impressed, like kind of deal. <laughs> you know, I'm
1: trying to think. I we, we we have a pretty good program. I mean, we we started with a Lenko, which a CS1 Lenko, which is pretty much unbreakable. And we switched to uh, CS2 because it was a five-speed. And what happened or what we learned is my driving style sucks
0: <laughs>
1: when it comes to driving. Because if you pedal on the CS2, I, and I pedaled on the CS1, but it would never break it. They're just durable. CS2, every time I pedal it, it could be a burnout. And if I just, you know, jacked with the throttle a little bit it would roll spray every time. And those were probably the worst things that we ever broke um, in, as far as components. I mean, we we will lose lifters and things like that on the road, but that's all fixable. We, we've got so good at it, it's easy to fix because um, we know we have exactly the same part, anything that fails valve train-wise or parts that the other parts. I don't want to keep blaming valve train because... Uh, we have a re- really good supplier for our valve drink, but we know exactly what we need, and we can we can identify it almost instantly before we we even pull valve covers or assess the situation. So the, that stuff is it's it's become something we just can do on the side of the road and move on, and not really give much thought to it.
0: I couldn't imagine doing valve train work on the side of the road. Like it sucks doing it at the shop and at home, but you know, as cars are speeding by at the dark in the dark, that that's, that, that's, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty mental.
1: Well, last or a couple of years ago, we were in the Carolinas. I don't know, North Carolina, South Carolina, and we had a rocker arm at break and they have no shoulders hardly at all. So I park on the shoulder. Of course, it's the driver's side. That it broke the rock arm, and we're trying to do it, and everything's super hot. So we're, you know, we'll do it as long as your fingers can hold it and you stop. Well, we had a truck, um, service truck, and I don't remember if it was Cat or who it was. They pulled up and they parked kind of in the lane to block because I'm literally standing in the lane, and the cars never move over. They they don't move over, and I'm out there. I mean, we can get it done in probably an hour, depending on how how fi- quickly it cools. But the cars, it's just, it's sketchy out there. Or if you're laying under the car and your feet are hanging out there, you know, you're just waiting to get run over because that's happened where we, you know, uh, years ago, we used to have vapor locking problems. So if you shut off the car, um, we'd run a gear pump and it'd vapor lock. So you'd have to get under there, crack the line, you know, and half your body sitting out there in the middle of the road while you're trying to do this. So I would say the traffic stuff or the cars going by, is more sketchy than repairing the car.
0: That is one of those things, again, that I never, you know, I'm thinking, man, it's got to have to suck to fix this stuff. Never even dawned on me the fact, you know, the speeding vehicles around you in the dark at all.
1: Well, well, and I just, I thought about this. I'll tell you probably over talking here, but we uh, we're in Ohio coming from uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, to Indianapolis and we come across one of the bridges real rough bridges and we lost the fan i think well we ended up in the process of trying to fix the fan we all my wires run through the chassis so they're in a bundle through the chassis which is awesome because they're protected well if you short one and it's in the bundle with the rest of the wires it melts everything oh we shorted one we melted all the wiring from the front to the back of the car and so we're on the side of the road in Ohio. There's a, it was a giant bridge. We just got off this bridge on projects on the shoulder of the road, rewiring the car. And I don't, I bet we were there five or six hours. And obviously we didn't rewire a great, but we were trying to get going. And I remember cops pulling up there. And I mean, the car's literally on projects front ends off, you know, in front of the car, we're wiring the car. And I'm thinking this is just, I can't believe we're doing this, and the cops said we got to go. And I said I got to get the car wired. I can't go anywhere. And um, I I wish we had pictures from that because it it was quite the sight to see the car on the interstate <laughs> wiring it.
0: I gotta imagine, you know, the cops pulling up, and he says I've got a stopped vehicle. Calls it back in, and then they ask for the after action report. And he's gonna say you won't believe what I just saw. You know, there, there's got to be a lot of those stories out there for for all kinds of different people that have seen the carnage that track and drive events provide.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we've been fortunate. I think we've got pulled over one time over the years. Um, years ago, we had problems charged. And so when we were driving down the road on these back roads, I would turn off all the tail lights of the car in the trailer because I didn't need them. And we just run on headlights. Well, we're somewhere in some cornfield and a police officer saw us and he, he pulled us over and says, Hey, you know your lights aren't working. I, I says, Well, go check now. And so I flipped the switch on. He goes, Oh, he goes, You're good. He goes, Maybe I missed something. I thought, Well, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, You
0: missed something, buddy. You missed something.
1: Yeah, was that was one of the things. I know it's uh but most everyone's, you know, been good. Obviously, if you, if we've we've been at certain areas where other things are going on where people might be racing on the street and the cops show up and I'm too old to run so I'm going to sit there and take whatever I get and I've had them walk up to the car and the car will be sitting there wheelie bars and parachutes on it you know and they know what's going on and usually they'll just shake their head and say get out of there um, for the most part but
0: Well, before we move to our our next section of the interview, I've got to hit our first uh, sponsor here, ProCharger. For 25 years, ProCharger has been the industry-leading aftermarket supercharger manufacturer by designing, engineering, and building the most powerful, reliable, and advanced centrifugal superchargers on the market. No matter if you're looking for a 3,500-horsepower record-setting ProMod or a DIY system for your streetcar, truck, or even motorcycle, ProCharger has a perfect supercharger system for you. For more information on the ways that you can add tons of horsepower to your car, visit ProCharger.com. Speaking of power adders, you know, you're you're a turbo guy with your car. Have you always been a turbo guy with your stuff, or have you ever wanted to dabble in different things? You know, how's that been for you?
1: No, I mean, when we we started, it was a nitrous car. We always had nitrous. Um, Nostalgia Pro Street was a nitrous with a limited jet size. Uh, PSCA was just unlimited and even after all these years with the turbo stuff i can tell you the nitrous car was by far more fun to drive it just it's a, it's a different feeling i i couldn't explain it i mean it was never as fast as the turbo car but the car was more fun to drive ultimately but for reliability reasons it's just not sensible for us to do it
0: that's what I was thinking because nitrous cars. My my street car was a nitrous car, and there's nothing quite like it. It's hard to explain the kick to the back of a nitrous car trying to pound everything impossible the first sixty feet, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's and when you start stacking systems, it's amazing you can still fill it as you know the timers start coming on, and just like that, if you pedal one of those cars down track and those systems come on again it's yeah it's it's almost the sensation of like the starting line
0: yeah yeah and like you said the downside is that if you want to have a competitive nitrous car it is not going to be nearly as street friendly for a lot of different reasons And i think that's why you see a lot of the really fast cars that they're turbo cars because you can uh they're a lot easier on parts for the street driving portion
1: oh absolutely i mean like if we go to a racetrack to race we're bored. I mean, you make a pass, half the time we don't pull the hood off the car. Unless there's something, a noise or something, the hood don't come off. When we race nitrous, the first thing you do is pull the hood, pull the plugs, luck the plugs. You know, that, that was instrumental. I mean, it, and it was every pass. You know, now we leave plugs in for however long. I mean, you don't even give it a second thought. It's just, it, it changes your whole outlook. Um, it spoils you because you don't have to work on the car.
0: Yeah, I have seen nitrous guys tear engines down to bare blocks and have to go through NMCA events, and they're doing crazy things to make the next round of racing the next day. You know, a, a fresh rack to them is almost routine maintenance at times, and I couldn't imagine putting a fresh rack in during drag week. It could be done, but it probably would not be fun.
1: No, no, I we take exactly what we're willing to work on. I don't take pistons, I don't take anything like that. Uh, my buddy Tom Bailey, he'll put pistons in, he'll do whatever. I'm not going to work that hard. <laughs> There's just no way, but you know, teach his own. But we we only take what we're willing to work on.
0: Him and Steve are crazy, legit, like those guys. <laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, I was seeing pictures from the, the, the uh, Midwest Drags, this, you know, during the event. And they're doing routine maintenance. They got heads off. They're putting valve springs on stuff. I'm like, you guys are dedicated.
1: Oh, no, it's amazing. I, I went with them. I actually drove a rental car in 2019 and just, I, I went out there with Tom just staying out. And I'm sitting there just watching because I had nothing better to do. And I thought, I cannot, because as a racer, you don't see what they're doing. But when I'm just sitting there enjoying the event, I'm sitting there and I thought, you got to be kidding me. I mean, literally had the cylinder heads out. I mean, they were doing something, I don't know, a valve job or something. I'm thinking, what are you guys doing? Um, but, no, I that's a little beyond what I'm going to do. It's just – it's it's a little much.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's I've seen heads up guys that, you know, they're doing their routine maintenance on like a, you know, a blower combo. And, you know, they're at the track – you know, basically rebuilding the engine and that's, oh, we're just doing a little bit of maintenance. I'm like, that looks like a complete engine job that you guys are doing. Maintenance to me is, oh, let's do some valve lash, you know, let's change the plugs, not let's crack open the bottom end kit.
1: Well, and that that was the thing when we ran nitrous, we would put pistons in it. I mean, that was pretty common when we raced the SCA, to put pistons in it. The problem is, is doing it at the track there was always something that lacked where it created more problems down the road. Where I mean, because you're putting something together that really needed a professional's attention, or about possibly a machine shop. And we're we're throwing a new piston in there and rings, and oh, it's good. And, and yes, the motors were big, they made power. You didn't notice a whole big difference, but you were still taken away from the engine, basically.
0: Yeah, I've seen some racers do some interesting uh, on-the-spot, non-professional machine work where I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you're going to make the next round, that's cool. But, boy, that uh, that is definitely kind of rougher on the edges. Well, and,
1: and the bad part is you know when you're doing it that it's probably going to cost you more in the long run. Yet, yeah, you still do it because you want to get to that next round or go get to the final, whatever it might be. I mean, because I would do a lot more stuff when we were going to a final than I would obviously in the earlier rounds because, I don't know, you just – you want to win, the, the bottom line.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that, that, that I think is part of the sickness that we have in racers is that we don't have that balance, you know what I'm saying, where it's like I probably shouldn't do this, but I want to make it to the next round. So, oh, it'll be – you tell yourself, it'll be fine. It'll be fine until it's not
1: no. fine. Exactly, you know, and then if it works, you sometimes leave it, I, I, we, uh, in Nebraska a couple of years ago, I lost a lifter, and so it pulled the lifter out, you can see the lifter ate the cam, or ate into the cam, put another lifter in it, car ran fine, so three, four months later, the cam was still in there, the lifter was still in there, <laughs> it wasn't acting up, so, you're going to keep on racing it.
0: You forget about it until you pull out the cam and you're like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> exactly. And I still have the
1: cam. I keep saying, well, I, I should probably send that in just in case. But it didn't give me any fits. They said, oh, you can't do that. It'll wear through the hardness, the hardened material. No, it did just fine.
0: <laughs> now, everybody that drag has done drag week has stories about things that happen on their magical journey and this is your chance to kind of do some story time about some of the crazy stuff that maybe not only you've done or seen on drag week and let's start with uh i'll throw out some topics or some ideas so you can pick through this because i've had guys tell me some stuff where i have like jaw on the floor kind of deal let's talk about some these at the track repairs what have you had to do or what have you seen people do at the track whether it's a uh, interesting use of tools, lubricants, welding parts. You know what, What's some stuff you've sat back and been like, all right, that's a that's kind of wild.
1: Well, and
0: what's bad is we get
1: stuck in impound, so we don't necessarily get to see a lot of the stuff that goes on. I can tell you, we we blew up the car in Memphis one year, so we had it hauled to uh, the next track. Uh, there was a guy with a semi. And the car back and I was depressed you know it was the last day so I didn't even go in to the race early got up got there and I get there and my willy bars are disassembled on my trailer my trailer we pulled behind a house like, why you know they they were intact that is what was affected and uh Steve Morris comes over he goes oh he goes we needed some parts for Tom's car we just seen your parts there so we decided to use them I said okay well good enough you know and so that was something that we ran across over the years. Um, transmission stuff. We were we were just talking. Uh, Joe O from Hyperactive was had stopped over here last night, and he went with me on the first year, and he had drove the car and actually spun my car out um, driving it one night in the rain, and we uh, we were talking because after that happened, it made the hitch loose. And, or something Well, the trailer fell off going in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we we're, were able to wire the bumper just long enough. And we dropped the U-Haul at a church and we left the U-Haul sitting in this church parking lot, threw everything out of the trailer into my car. So we could continue driving to the next track. And what was rough is earlier that day before the trailer fell off, we'd ate a turbo. So now we just have, we have this broken turbo on the car that we have to leave on there because we can't change the piping. So we lose the trailer and then we're driving with the bad turbo to the next track. So once we get there, we have almost everything in the car you could have that was in the trailer. And then we had to put a turbo on the car. And so you end up borrowing stuff from people, you know, whoever you can borrow stuff from because you don't have the equipment or the tools uh to make it work
0: <laughs> again that's you know I, I could only picture steve and tom wandering out of the pits going man we need we need something to fix this oh hey look that car's on a rollback let's get some wheelie bar parts like the, i could just see that conversation transpiring
1: well yeah and i because i when i got that help i don't remember you know this was a problem and uh I thought, why would the wheels be gone? But what had happened during that, they had hauled it in one of these, uh, it was a semi and he was hauling three dragway cars that were broken. Well, they had a blowout on the way down the Bowling Green and the awning had fell off the side of the wall and hit the side of my car, which scratched up the car, but you can't be upset because someone's taking care of you. I mean, they're hauling your car and haul your junk, you know, at least back to your trailer. So it was a whole issue there was so much going on at that event that uh because we we dropped the valve and it went through the turbo and everyone's standing around there oh we can fix it thinking what are you gonna fix you know the turbo's destroyed because the valve went through it i mean there's holes in the pistons the head's damaged but we're gonna fix it and and we took it apart we really at some point we originally thought we could fix it but we didn't
0: is there that kind of energy you'll have on a drag week event or you've seen other people get it where it's like, you're willing to take on monumental tasks that go beyond common sense of what you should do. And you're just like, Oh, we're, we're going to do this. And you just, you just try no matter what the odds technically are.
1: Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, and, and it's constant because it's, it's truly a mind thing. If you let it get in your mind, you, you just, you aren't going to succeed at it. So, I mean, you you just, you you figure it out. And where you really, it really gets to you is like, you're out in the middle of nowhere. I, I've got lost a couple of times, 40 miles off the beaten path. So you see no other people, no other racers, no other driving with a broken car. And you're thinking, I don't even know where I'm at. And you're troubleshooting a car in the pitch black, trying to figure out, What's wrong with it? And over the years, it's just it's amazing what you learn in those quiet times or what what you're willing to do to get that car running, you know, and, and to figure it out to be able to
0: compete. You just said something that made me think of another question to ask. Have you, what, what are some situations you've run into with, uh, we'll call them civilians that don't know anything about drag week, where that, you know, do you get a lot of questions? You know, what's it like interacting with the general public on one of these deals?
1: You know, the, the very first year, there was a gentleman that I don't even know where we were out on the way to Great Man and we broke down in a parking lot. And it was something simple tool wise that we needed and we didn't have it. And this gentleman pulled in. And he said, I have tools at home for you. I'll go get them. And he comes back and he brought me back tools and it was probably tools from the forties and fifties. And I, he, he, it got really late. He was an older gentleman. He goes, well, I gotta go. He goes, good luck. And I, you know, we're telling him, you know, well, wait, we'll give you your tools back. He goes, no. He goes, I think you guys need them more than I do. And I'm thinking, you know, these are, you know, you don't give away your tools. I mean, you don't sell your tools. And But these tools, I mean, probably from the 50s. And we still have them sitting in the toolbox all these years later. Um, and we carry them, actually, because the one time we didn't carry the tools. And uh, so it was neat. neat. Um, well, after that, over the years, as the events got more popular and Hot Rod, like, releases the routes and stuff, you get a lot of people at the checkpoints or along the routes so we'll get we'll get a group of people and I'll take pictures of them we'll post them you know on social media we try to interact with the people and, and they love it because they don't expect you to do that and it's amazing the crowds that follow these events now I mean in the small towns I mean you'll be driving down the road and there'll be people you know in little farmhouse have a big sign out you know we have beer or hey we'll cook you food. You know, for the people driving by, you know, and you're out there in the middle of nowhere, but the people really get into it. They, uh,
0: it's really cool actually. So that's like the equivalent of like the Baja 1000 or something like that, that the people like are randomly in the desert. Here you are during drag week and there's random people like, here's some bacon and a beer to help keep you going, man. And it's, it's awesome, you know. And when it
1: first started happening, I think we all were kind of Larry thinking you really just stop it you know but as it's got as times went on you know it's kind of you get accustomed to it and you think hey this is all right you know especially if you need a garage if you need to work on something on a car I mean it's awesome and I mean people go out of their way to help you know and you can obviously they can only help so much because you don't want to get disqualified but there's nothing to say they can't provide you a shop you know equipment whatever as long as you can drive it in there You're legal.
0: I have seen some wild I like the wild posts that you see on social media during these events where people need parts. And then they find the parts like crazy. Like I need this specific rocker arm for this specific combination. And someone like 100 miles away will be like, oh, I got that. I'll meet you. And then they bring you the parts. To me, that I think that speaks volumes about our racing community and how we are willing to help each other.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we've been very fortunate that we haven't needed a lot of parts. Um, Years ago, we broke down on the way to Louisiana from Annis, Texas, and I posted, hey, you know, does anyone have a trailer? Can they come and get my car? Because we're in the middle of nowhere. And ironically, Chad from Bang Shift, he uh, says, hey, my dad, my dad will help you out. Okay, cool. Well, his dad... um, Brought me down, brand new truck, brand new trailer. Here you guys go. Um, and I thought, you got to be kidding me. He says, just just take it back to Oklahoma. We'll pick it up in the next couple days. So, okay. So we loaded my car up, hooked my little trailer up to the back and went, drove back to Oklahoma. And then they came and got it on the weekend. But I mean, it's unheard of. I couldn't believe he did. it. I thought, you got to be kidding me. You're going to drive all this way to get me. And then leave me your truck and trailer. And, you know, so it's, it's nice. It's it's amazing what people do.
0: Could you imagine that if it was just like, you're in the dark in the middle of nowhere and appears a wild Chad Reynolds to help you goatee, cackling laugh. I mean, that might terrify. You. I love Chad, but if you don't know Chad, you'd be like, is this dude going to murder me and eat me? What's going on here?
1: Uh, that is, that is so true. And his dad is, a polar opposite of him you know because I didn't I hadn't met his dad yet you know and um so I didn't know what to expect to be honest and his dad his dad was awesome I, I I was so thankful but yeah totally different than Chad I I helped Chad last year with a fuel pump issue and I'm thinking what am I getting myself into because just knowing Chad
0: that I can, there are few absolutes in life. You can't avoid death and taxes, and you cannot have a bad time when you're around Chad Reynolds. That's like a universal law with that dude.
1: Very true. <laughs> Very true.
0: You know, I, I've he helped get me into this business through Bank Shift. Thanked him for that. And Brian allowing me to kind of freelance and learn from them at one point. And I've dealt with him with, you know, the Horsepower Wars 10K drag shootout. And people don't understand with Chad... He's one of those people. We can only show you a small slice of the insanity that he provides. Like you just—that's the way it is. The outtakes are funnier than some of the real takes. Uh, yeah, I would say yes. I absolutely. And and again, it it, it kind of ties back to that culture. These people, the these characters. You know, what are some of the? Uh, you know, maybe we'll call them the unsung hero characters that you've met on Drag Week. People you might not necessarily have. You know, really like hung out with, but you know maybe the cars and the people that you've been going through tech going, all right, that looks kind of wild. You know, combos people. What, what have you seen?
1: Well, you know the, the Australians and the the Swedes, they always uh, they are a great time. Um, you had Harry Hall from Australia. He built the Chevelle with the turbos out the hood. That guy will say anything. I mean, there is zero filter with him. And he is just a good time. I mean, he no matter what, great guy. Uh, the Swedish guys I met years ago, they would come and watch the event before they brought cars here, and so they would rent a couple of Suburbans and they would follow along and hang out. And um, we we were privileged that they hung out with us a couple of times. And over the years, I remember racing down the highway in their Suburban with them and. Them getting pulled over by the police. Me, keep going. And, of course, they live out of the country. So the ticket was big enough that they had to come back <laughs> to the, you know, the states for the ticket. And we just, we made a friendship with these the gentlemen. And so we started using, we'd fly the Swedish flag on my car. And those guys, I you would think you gave them a million dollars. They were just like. Jump it up and down, they couldn't believe we would do it. But, you know, they came and supported, you know, us here. I mean, so excited. They just wanted to be part of the event. And then, obviously, they started bringing cars here that were incredible cars. And those guys, out of everyone, they're probably the most diehard guys to, to complete an event that out of any of us. You know, and, and maybe it's because they come, you know, take some two days to get here and, you know, months to ship a car and things like that. But they have no give up in them. I mean, they will work until, you know, till they can't. It's just amazing.
0: European drag racing fans are on a different level. At one of Donald Long's races, I, I was in the staging lanes and I was doing live work for. I was doing, you know, the live interviews for Speed Video at the time, and I'm just bebopping doing my deal, and I got. I'm going to use the word cornered by these two German guys that their, their English was about on par, but that you could tell that they didn't know how to say certain things. They scared me. And it turns out they watched and listened to the podcast. And I thought I was about to get into a fight because they were very German and how they spoke. And I'm like, all right, I, you know, I have to defend myself. They were having the best time on earth. They wanted to take selfies with me because they thought I was famous. I'm like, guys, I'm just some knucklehead that they let talk. And they're like, we love the show. We love, you know, like awesome. Like I didn't know how to deal with it, but they were there having the time of their lives drinking in every ounce of American <laughs> racing that they could. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's amazing because we're pretty fortunate here. I mean, we, we can pretty much go anywhere and have racing weekend wing out for most of the part. But so when they come here, I don't, I, I don't believe they have that kind of culture where they live. So they totally appreciate it like we all should actually. I mean, because you can tell, I mean, and they have fun. I mean, they are so happy to be able to be part of it, even as a spectator. I mean, it's amazing to watch them.
0: The crazy thing about the Swedish guys is like their version of Street Outlaws, like that's crazy. Like, they block off the freeway to make hits. And you see these pictures and memes and stuff like that. I've done some stories with these guys. Like, they'll send me the videos. I'm like, you guys are hardcore. Like, you are stopping traffic on, like, I-95 here in the States to make a hit on a road that is, you have not scouted. It's bumpy and it curves. And you're taking a big tire car, making that hit. Y'all on a different level.
1: No, no. And they just, they, they live it. They totally live the racing, you know, in every aspect of it. So no, I, I know the video. It is cool.
0: Before we kind of hit our last couple questions here, I got to talk about Mosier engineering and they've been racing across five decades through three generations of their family. Cause it's a family owned company. They've been supporting sportsman ranks racers since the beginning of with their lightning fast two day turnaround time. They make everything from axles to rear end, suspension brakes all in the USA with one goal in mine. so you can win. If you want to learn more, check out engineering.com Another great sponsor because I use their products in both of my vehicles. and I can attest that a Mosure product can take a beating because by God we beat on those parts and they survive everything we put them through, which is awesome. Speaking of which, drag and drive events, man. Where do you see them going to? Are they going to evolve anymore or is it like the kind of creature that really like can't evolve that it, you know, just, it is what it is.
1: I I think it's just going to get bigger and bigger only from the standpoint with today's technology, the cars, it's, it's become easier to do. I don't want to say it's easy by any means, but it's easier to do than when we started there's a lot of stuff that we learned along the way that obviously, as everyone learns and you pass the information on, it makes it easier. I mean, a lot of the stuff I learned, I had help from guys that had done it pri- prior to me. And so it, it just keeps getting built on top of that. And then with the vendors, the technology, I mean, it, it's definitely something that I think is going to get bigger. I think it's more in the mid range. And I say this, and people probably laugh, but probably a high seven second car to nine second car, I imagine that's gonna explode. We just, we don't have cars. I mean, for like the Unlimited or the Ultimate Iron cars, I mean, even in the pro street cars, it's the same group of guys that it's been for the last 10 years. I mean, in Unlimited, it's all the same, Ultimate Iron. We're all the same guys. There's no one, if they're building cars, They either just aren't coming or they just don't do it. But so it's the same. I mean, there's probably 10 of us in those two classes. And it's the same 10 that we don't really see any new cars. You'll see a lot of promotion. Oh, we're building a new car and it's going to run that. But the cars never seem to come out. But I think the middle of the pack type classes, I think that's just going to get bigger. I think it's going to explode. I mean, I think that's where you're going to see the majority of people race them.
0: I'll back that up and I believe in that too because I think what you see is it's easier to make a certain level of horsepower now than, you know, imagine if you took a brand new Z06 Corvette and you teleported it back to 1985 and it or a, a, a Z01 Camaro Hellcat and it laid down the times it did now is a as a factory car to back then, it would have blown people's minds. It would have been top of the heat. And now, like, a nine-second street car is, I'm not going to say the norm, but it's it's achievable for your average man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I always tell people. You know, everyone says, well, you're fast. No. The problem is, is it's become people look at these cars and they think that's the norm it's, it's really not the norm. I mean, a 12 second car is fast. I I don't, I mean, if you say it's not, then I don't know what to tell you, but a 12 second car is fast. A tech 10 second car is super fast. What we've had, what we've developed with these cars is, is not the norm. Yes, they go fast, but that's not, you know, typical, you know, and the bad part is that I think it discourages people because they think, Oh, well, if I can't build an eight second car or nine second car, I, I just may as well not do it. And that's not, you know, that's not the case. It's just it, I, that's the only bad part I see with the technology and how fast, how easy it is to make power, how fast cars have come is it's, it's kind of ruined it because people look at it like that's where they have to be. And that's not where they have to be, you know, get out there and enjoy the cars for what it is. You know, and you get there someday,
0: great. I think that a lot of people also seem to forget that there's a difference between an eight-second car and a reliable eight-second street car. Because anybody can make that hero pass, but you are just that very edge if you didn't build it right from being an eight-second car to being a long downtime at the track because you did some high energy disassembly.
1: No, absolutely. I, I mean, and that that's the truth of it. I mean, we me and me and Tom Bailey, we constantly go back part back and forth because everything he does is to the max level. It's balls out no matter what. Where we go to a race, I'm very conservative. Everyone knows. That. I mean, Tom will bust my chops constantly. Well, you're conservative. He goes, You know the car will go faster. I said, Yeah. I said, but I don't want to work on it. He says, Well, you're just letting people win. I said, No, I said, I do not want to work on it. I know how fast I can go and not have to do anything to it and not take the risk. And not him. I mean, and we laugh, I will make fun of him. I mean, and I can get away with it because we've become friends. But he'll go and he will literally hang the rods out just to make the pass he has, he has intention. And it doesn't bother him. I'm saying, You know what? You could have tuned it back a little bit and went and enjoyed it. Nope. He goes, then I'm just doing like you. Well, yeah, I guess. (laughs) But I just, I'm always more conservative when it comes to it because I want it to live. I don't want it to destroy.
0: No, the turbo street car that we're building, my project car, is on kill, we should make well over a 1,000 horsepower. My tuner good friend Scott Cordell is helping the car. Are we going to have that thing set on kill all the time? Absolutely not. We're going to take about 200 horsepower out of that thing so we do not have to work on it all the time, um, you know, because it's good cars going to get driven. You don't want to work on something you drive on the time. Now when we go to a big event and if the, the other thing is, if the tracks there and can hold it, yeah, we'll turn the dial up. But what's the point to going out and blowing your stuff up when there's, you, you can't get the most out of it.
1: No, no. And absolutely. I mean, it's, it's that it's definitely something I mean, and eventually once you've, driven the car long enough you you can find out where that window is is how much you can truly put to it and it still be reliable
0: and to me honestly what impresses me the most is yeah like a fast nine eight second seven second street car is impressive but one that can do it where it is not like hanging its tongue out where it's like effortless where there, it could be a second or a half second faster, but they've got it tuned in where it will just do it lap after lap after lap. And they'll look at you. Want me to do it more? I can do it all day. That's impressive to me. And
1: what we've done is, you know, when I started doing this the first two, three years uh, we all have, and then I I shouldn't say, I think we also have the same big egos, but you would see unlimited cars like what we have making five, six hits. I mean, heck, I've seen us race all the way till five o'clock trying to outdo the guy next to you. What's happened since then is we don't do that. Now it's one run and it's done. You, you, we got the cars figured out enough. So we go out there, we make that pass. And you got to be willing to accept whatever that is. Hopefully it's a decent pass, and you move on. So, I mean, we literally make one pass, We load up and we go on. And we've got the cars like my car. It, it'll go 7.0, 200-something, every pass. And I'm done. I mean, there's no reason that, yeah, the car will go 6.80. But why put it there if I can just be done and get on, my ro- get on the road?
0: Yeah, you need that extra uh, margin for error in case, you know, God knows what happens on the drive. You don't want to be out there at 2 in the morning trying to fix something Whereas maybe you're only having to fix it at, you know, one in the afternoon. There's a huge difference there. Huge difference, right?
1: Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, I have drove by, once again, Tom, I drove by him in the early years and he'd have his canopy and all the lights up on the side of the road at four in the morning. They're putting a camshaft in something. <laughs> and I just drive by and I'm thinking, what are they doing? You know, and then you ask them the next one, oh, we had to put a cam in it. Oh, I just put a cam in,
0: right? <laughs> Drive by honk wave. Hi guys, going to Denny's to get dinner. You need me to bring you anything? (laughs) That's exactly it. Oh, yeah. And again, I'm just thinking in my mind. Like, I like working on a race car more than my street car because my street car is it's a street car. Things are there that don't make it go faster or stop better. There's all kinds of stuff there. I will say that working on a race car while doing major surgery isn't fun. It's a lot easier. But that doesn't mean that you want to be doing that kind of stuff at two in the morning on the side of the road.
1: No, no, absolutely not. Because it's you, it never breaks in a convenient spot. It never breaks, you know, so you're stuck with your surroundings, wherever that might be on the highway, on a on-ramp, off-ramp. I mean, it's just where it happens to be.
0: Yeah. And again, I think that that's what to me makes the dragon drive events so interesting and wild is the guys that compete in these or have done it multiple times. uh, they, They, they live the phrase embrace the suck because they are willing to do what most normal guys would pack up and go home. Because I know a few guys that I've raced with a few guys that are like that. They have the parts that they don't want to work on their stuff. Could they fix it to the track? Absolutely. But you know what? They don't want to do it on a Saturday night. I'll miss this round of bracket racing. Let's just put it back in the box and go home. And then there's idiots like us that are hardcore racers that we're laying on our backs at two o'clock in the morning, R&R and something because we want to make that hit at eight o'clock in the morning. Yep.
1: No, and and absolutely. I mean, and we, we did that for years class racing because that's what you did. I mean, it didn't matter if you worked all night putting pistons in it, transmission in it, whatever it took. And you did it so you were ready that next morning. I mean, for whatever whatever reason, you just didn't want to quit. Yeah. You know, that and then with the dragon the drag and drive events, when you're five hundred, 500, 600 miles from your trailer in the middle of nowhere, a couple of things come to mind. You don't want to pay the tow bill, obviously. You know, and how are you gonna get back there? You know, are you in a town that has a rental car company where you can at least get a rental car to get back? I mean, there's, there's a lot more. So sometimes you want to work on it, and sometimes it's, you have to work on it so you can get back.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's a forced requirement that you really weren't counting on. I've seen a few times where uh, boosted cars have become N.A. cars to make that trip because it's like, you know, I, I don't have any other options here. Or I've seen people that have had a boosted part fail where they have paid for next day shipping to get it shipped to the next track, and lo and behold, they're hanging a turbo first thing in the morning.
1: Yep. No, we've done that. I mean, we've ate turbos and well, overnight a turbo, and it'll be at the next track, and you swap it out when you get there.
0: It, to me, though, it's not that I like to uh, take pleasure in other people's misery, but the cool thing is you see the guys working on the stuff in a hotel parking lot. And to me, that reminds me of like the old school days when you'd see the drag racers, like you'd see a nitro funny car getting tore down in a hotel parking lot. You don't get to see that anymore, but I think that's like kind of, again, what the, the drag and drive events embraces like that, that old mentality.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, you 100%. I, we actually have a buddy of ours that lives here um, has an old, I don't know, 55, 56 Pontiac LS base, and he blew that up in Kearney, Nebraska. They went to a junkyard, found another LS base motor, had the junkyard bring it to the track, put that motor in, pulled the one out, broke, put that one in, and went out there and made passes, kept his weak average, and I, I'm just sitting there in amazement. I think I cannot believe you guys pulled that off, let alone, and the car went out there and ran just almost spot on.
0: And and again, it's even more amazing when you're looking at some of these combos that guys are running, that they're repairing this stuff. Like, I know that on the Midwest Drags one year, they had, like, some, like, it was basically, like, a top fuel nitro burning engine kind of deal in a a hot rod that, you know, they drive it around on regular gas, but they get the track and run it on nitro. I'm like, that takes some guts. And now Tom Bailey's doing it with that thing that he's making with a – a nitro engine with a screw blower, which is like, I did an article about blowers a few years ago was talking to one of the guys about that. They're like, could you imagine running a nitro engine with a screw blower? And then that that quote was in my mind. I saw what Tom was doing. I'm like, well, now we got someone that's doing it.
1: Well, in that, and it's a straight axle car. Can you imagine being the guy behind the wheel? Cause who knows how it's going to handle I mean, it it, no one's doing it so you're gonna be the r&d for that you know you're gonna find out yeah it worked or gosh we need to go back to the drawing board
0: yeah i don't want to be the test pilot on that one where it's like you know you get the last little pet you know just let go of the button and it feels weird you know try to stay out of what's it gonna do i don't know go find out no thanks
1: no and and tom's
0: good one for that
1: because he he will drive the hell out of the car Oh. without a doubt
0: yeah tom definitely is a racer's racer and like a straight-ass old gasser style is cool too because i i love gassers i love watching them for the simple fact that anytime there's a nostalgia show they are legit unpredictable they're like they're a full step below a fuel altered but they're in the same like kind of like air, they're they're in the same ballpark but not as intense but they still you know they do some wild stuff
1: Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's like the old alcohol funny cars. Those cars were always, I mean, you think they're just like a nitro car, but they don't appear to handle as well. They literally drive those cars. That's always one of the best things I would enjoy watching is the alcohol funny cars. Cause those cars were all over the place and um, it was exciting to watch.
0: Even the modern ones, those guys, the gals, they, uh, they got to be knuckled up on that wheel because they don't have nearly if you look at a lot of people saw so funny cars a funny car I'm like look at a big show Nitro car body look at an alcohol car body you'll notice something really big missing on the back of that car the back of that spoiler yeah. that makes a big difference in keeping that thing from getting happy feet
1: yes uh, no absolutely I mean that it's just I don't know I don't I couldn't drive one of those cars myself I
0: it, I would love to try if I wasn't paying for anything that could potentially be damaged, (laughs) you know, and I'm just talking about the simple fact that, you know, you got to do the two foot shuffle to launch that thing. And again, you, you can't beat the sound of a screw blown alcohol engine, whether it's in the funny car or dragster, because when the, when they're getting up on the chip, those things sound like they are ready to crack open the earth and it's amazing.
1: No, you're absolutely right.
0: It, it's, it's a different level. Speaking of different level, I have a lot of mystic powers here on the Zine podcast. And this time I'm going to grant you, Joe, the mystical power of budget that I have. I've got a bank account that nobody else knows about. This is going to be between you and the people watching and listening. I'm going to give you an unlimited budget and access to any builder in the world, dead or alive, whatever you want to create, the ultimate drag week vehicle. What are you going to build? Who's going to build it for you? you know what? What? what it, it's that thing you dream about when you're driving down the freeway on cruise control, and you start want to think about anything else than the driver you're doing. What's that car that you have built in your mind, Joe?
1: You know, I, I would still stick with the '56 Chevy because that's what we everyone knows us by. You know, do something out of carbon. Do a carbon car where you have a lightweight car. Um, I, I Jerry Bickle built the car I have now. There's no doubt I would use him. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he, they build the best out there. Um, I think, you know, you'd, it'd definitely be boosted, be turbocharged. And, you know, probably go to Steve Morris. See about getting one of those SMSs he's building, you know, and do something along those lines. I mean... He's learning more and more about that motor and it's only going to get more powerful, you know, and then what we've learned over the years, we could either have it built or designed because there is no budget, you know, because a lot of the stuff we put band aid on, band-aids on to get us by because there isn't a product out there, but now you could you know, have it built.
0: I'm going to go one step further. Now you've been on all of these drag week adventures Drag week cars aren't full of creature comforts because, you know, because race car, if you could have one creature comfort inside your drag week vehicle that you don't have or haven't been able to have, what would it be? AC.
1: I mean, AC. That, that's our biggest thing. I mean, especially when we're down in the South or East coast, I mean, you sweat. I mean, years ago, I didn't have my transmission covered. So the transmission was in the car with you. Oh, yeah. We, we would check with the temperature gun, and it would be 160 degrees in the car. And um, when my son first started going with it, me, he was 13. And I thought, well, I don't want him getting sick or, you know, from the heat. So we used to cover the transmission with welding blankets. And everyone says, oh, well, you're going to burn up the transmission and this and that. You can't do that. Well, it didn't affect the temperature one bit. And so then eventually we put a cover on, which cooled it down some. But the heat just, the heat kills you. I mean, it it makes it miserable to drive. I mean, everything else, the noise, you know, the bouncing in the car, that's all doable. But the heat just gets to you.
0: And, oh, we'll roll down a window. Oh, so we're just going to introduce hot air from the outside in the car where it's like really not making things a whole lot better other than the the the, the cooling effect of it on the sweat that's coming off my body. Well, and, and that's it. And thank goodness my car has vent windows. So we have, we
1: have a set where we put the vent window at the perfect angle and the driver's passenger, driver's vent window cools the passenger and vice versa. So they just got to get in the right spot, but you know, Chevrolet did it right. I mean, well, all the companies, I guess, had a vent window because I never realized how nice that vent window is to pull the air into the car.
0: Yeah. And I have ridden in... my fair share of performance vehicles with no AC and transmissions to get warm, even with like a full interior. And people don't realize on longer trips, you feel that heat. Like it's just like this little cruddy heater right there down me by your legs, just radiating heat inside the car.
1: Well, and like our cars that they're two chassis pro mod, basically with the body on them, everything heats up. So from front to back, which a lot of folks don't realize. So anything that's attached to the bars, engine, transmission, well, eventually all those bars are hot. So you have to be somewhat cautious, especially the ones in the center of the car. It will burn you if you put your hand on it. And you'll forget, you go to get out of the car like the gas stop. And you go and put your hand on it, and it's burning up. Because, you know, say the motor's 200 degrees or whatever it is, all those bars end up that hot. You know, and because you're driving it for three, four hours, I mean, 400 miles takes us 10 to 12 hours. So when we're on a 400 mile drive, figure that car's running 10 to 12 hours.
0: Yeah, that's why I'm not a big fan of uh, race cars that have a full just metal interior, because it turns it into an easy bake oven sitting in the car. And it also turns it into a griddle when you touch stuff. I learned that lesson myself at the track one time, helping a friend out, car that sat out in the sun, didn't think anything of it, touched a piece of the tin interior. And yeah, I, I, I felt a little sizzle, lesson learned.
1: Oh yeah, it's and we didn't realize how hot it truly was because you, you're so beat from the event. But we used to go get sweet peas from McDonald's of all places. And of course it's a wax cup or styrofoam cup and at that time, we didn't have cup holders. So we'd set them. I have a ballet pan that goes the whole length of the car. And we would just set them down in the ballet pan so they didn't spill. Well, it was right next to transmission. And it would literally mount. If there were the wax cups, it'd mount the bottom out. And then the pan would be full of the sweet tea or the styrofoam would mount. You know, and we it wasn't like right against it. It was probably 10, 12 inches away. But you don't realize how hot after a while that it is. But
0: it would just melt the cups lessons learned on the right on the road right yes sir well joe our time here is coming to an end and i like to give my guests their opportunity to uh kind of be like their own inner john force and thank all their sponsors and tell people where to find them at and you know whatever else they got going on so joe i'll turn the floor over to you and you can tell everybody what you got going on sponsors you need to thank and where they can learn more about your racing program so the floor is yours my friend well, thank you. Um, well, right now we're doing a sun, uh, sun.
1: we're doing a car for my son and wife to compete at drag and drive events. Uh, by son, we're putting it in a double frame wheel 56 Chevy. It'll be a lightweight version of mine, twin turbo, 540 cubic inch, should be a legit 650 car, so it'll be somewhat faster than mine. My wife will be along the same lines, probably not as fast, because it's all still car, and um, hopefully... Drag week and race week this year, we'll have all three cars at with any luck. Um, as far as sponsors and people that help us, you know, GC Coolings, I uh, guys mentioned earlier, the fan company, make an awesome 16 volt fan. Uh, GRP connecting rods, best aluminum rod out there, best rod out there, in my opinion. I mean, we've used them for 10, 12 years, great product. Um, Jessel, if it weren't for Jessel with their quality valtrain, you know, rock arms lifters that we couldn't do events like this, no doubt. Um, people like uh, Joe o from hyperactive. I mean, he tuned the car in the very beginning. He's become a very good friend of mine over the years and um, supported us. Always helps us always been there no matter what. So that's, that's been a really good thing for us. Um, Beyond that, uh, you know, controlling the boost and things like that. Turbo smart, best weight gate, gate out there. Good product line. Um, Carl with Rosler transmissions. You can't, you can't do one of these vents without one of his transmissions. Guaranteed. He builds the best transmission. And, of course, you got to connect the power. So you go to Joe with ProTor. I mean, that's you can't beat it. That's the combination. I mean, if you don't do it you're going to be, you'll eventually be doing
0: it because that's what lives. And uh, beyond that, that's about all I have. Well, Joe, I appreciate it. And I got to thank our sponsors for the Dragzine podcast, Performance Distributors, Airflow Research, ProCharger, MSD, Holly, Flowmaster, Mosier Engineering, Comp Cams, Eldelbrock, and Fast, all give us what we need to keep this podcast going. Joe, thank you so much. I will probably see you at some point on drag week because I get to go this year for a couple stops. So I will come stop by and say hello and check out your rides. Please do. Thank you very much.